0: Not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin.
1: And you know, that story is the key. And you know, there's, there's no better way of experiencing that than in person, as you suggest, uh, You know, history, as we said before earlier, history is so important. And when you understand the history of that era, when you see it portrayed in front of you, when you hear about the men and women of that era who risked everything, they risked absolutely everything, their lives, their liberty, their sacred honor, so that we may be free now, it takes on a whole new meaning, does it not?
2: Oh, oh, it does. Uh, let me give you an example of a preacher who didn't end up on the battlefield, but he was just in just a, as much of a critical position. John Witherspoon was a Presbyterian preacher, and he was also the president of Princeton. Witherspoon was part of the Continental Congress that basically signed the Declaration. And when he was in that delegation, they were at the point of of getting ready to sign But many of them were fearful because they knew if they signed the declaration and were captured or if they lost the war, they would most likely be executed. In fact, you remember Benjamin Franklin said we either hang together or we will hang separately. And that wasn't intended to be a joke. He was being being as serious as he could possibly be. So they were all fearful. Well, Witherspoon gets up and gives a very passionate speech encouraging them to sign the declaration and right after his speech they do they do the very thing that he encouraged them to do and of course then the declaration ends up being signed over a period of days and is later on read to to the public and uh, the rest is history but it was a presbyterian preacher who was there who signed in fact he was the only vocational pastor to sign the declaration these men were there so it wasn't I think it's important that your listeners also know that it wasn't just a a band of rabble-rousing preachers that just were looking for a fight. The the, the president of Yale, Naphtali Daggett, who who was a preacher and, of course, as I said, was the president of Yale, when the British invaded New Haven, Connecticut, he went out with about 100 boys from the school and fired a number of shots at the British to slow their advance. And unfortunately, they captured him— and beat him so brutally that he died a number of months later from the wounds that he received that very day. And this is we're talking about the president of Yale. Uh, These preachers, if they were captured on the battlefield, normally the British would either throw them onto a prison ship, where the death rate among all those prisoners was highest among the preachers, and a prison ship was just a ship anchored in the harbor, and they'd put those guys below the deck, and that's where they would remain until they either died or the war was over. Or, if they didn't put them on a prison ship, they would execute them right there on the spot many times while these preachers were trying to surrender. Charles Thompson was a pastor out of Warren, Rhode Island. He was thrown on a prison ship, And John Rothbrug, uh, a preacher from the wilderness area of New Jersey, was executed uh, while he was trying to surrender. So, you know, this this whole thing, I mentioned Thomas Allen a while ago that... uh, fought at the Battle of Bennington, Vermont. His brother, um, uh, Moses Allen, was a preacher, and he died trying to escape one of those prison ships. And the British just stood there and watched him drown. His body was so emaciated from lack of nourishment that he couldn't swim long enough to swim to the bank, and he drowned, and they just stood there and watched him. And then once they drowned, they dragged his body out of the water and threw it onto the bank and left him to decay on the bank there in, in sight of those still on that prison ship, I mean that—that's the level of commitment these preachers had to liberty, and we—I I fear we no longer have that. And we've got to learn this story because it has implications in our day.
1: Well, that's the case. I mean, and that is the truth, right there, Dan Fisher. That—that that if we do not learn this, if we do not ignite our our pastors, if we do not ignite our own Moral character. If we do not, not ignite our population, okay, then we will lose all of those freedoms because they don't mean anything except in the context of the moral government that was created because of that.
2: Well, you're exactly right. You know, I was I was a supporter of Ted Cruz. In fact, as a, as a legislator here in Oklahoma, I was among a handful of people early on that endorsed uh, Ted. But once Ted was out of the primary, then I supported Donald Trump. I wasn't necessarily a Donald Trump guy. But my fear is now that Trump has won, people will back off, especially the church will back off and we'll say, "Well, we dodged that bullet and we will go back to sleep thinking that now we've we've won the war, everything's fine. And then if we do that, four to eight years from now, and maybe even sooner, because none of us know what kind of a president uh President-elect Trump will be. I, he, the signs are looking good, but but we don't know. We'll go right back to sleep. We, we cannot do that. Uh, there was a French uh, orator uh, by the name of Coran, and, and he's the one who made famous statement that the, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. We, we can't sit back on our laurels and say, okay, well, we won the presidential election of 2016, now everything is well. It's not that. We're in an eternal battle until the Lord returns against evil, and if, if the Church does not stand up and try to stem the tide, it, it the, the wave crashes over our culture, and the people are lost. And, and that's what... We can't afford that, and if the preachers do not wake up, then I'm convinced of this. I've served in government, I'm a pastor, and I'm telling you, the key is not the legislature. The key is not the governor's office or the president or Congress. The key is the pulpit, and if the pulpit does not reignite and begin to address the whole counsel of God, we're going to lose our liberty. We may have gotten a reprieve. With the election of Trump, we'll wait and see. But I'm telling you, we were within a a hair's breadth, I believe, of seeing Hillary Clinton elected. And we all know what she stands for and what she would have done. The Supreme Court would have been, in my opinion, forever liberal. And our liberties would have been peeled back one right after the other. Now, everybody's saying, well, but she didn't win. She lost by the thinnest of margins and actually won the popular vote. And up until, you know, a couple of weeks before the election, it looked like she was going to win overwhelmingly. I mean, we were that close to losing everything. We just always are. and, And we must not go back to sleep.
1: That's probably one of the most important messages of our discussion here today between you and I. Uh, from your point of view and from my point of view, there are a variety of different elements that we must enlist to make sure that we do not l- let the, the people in our government today drop the ball. Uh, the pastors from their pulpits are obviously a key influence. And the reason is, is they have they have the ability to reach so many people if they are if there is fire from our pulpits today. Then we have a chance. There are yeah. other groups, and I and I personally work actively with. with I'm a Sentinel member of the Sentinel Heritage Action Group. Um, the Sons of Liberty Riders is another one, another national constitutional group. Uh, these are groups that are working hard today, uh, as well as other grassroots organizations, to make sure that the people in Washington DC don't forget that we sent them there. Yeah. This was a big mistake that a lot of the a lot of the Republicans made over the last 8 years. In 2010, we worked very hard to give them Congress. We worked hard in 12 and in, and in 14. Okay? We gave them majorities in Congress and they did not follow through on their promises. Now I see this as being uh, the last great stand of the righteous, the last great stand of the constitutionalists, the last great stand for our our constitutional republic. We don't have a democracy. I know you know that, yeah. but this is our last our last stand, because we have risen up in the center of this country. We have given the government in Washington D.C. every single tool that they need to fix what has been broken for so many decades. And so we are standing on the precipice now. And I, and I would suggest to you, and I know that you will agree, that we need the divine intervention. We need God's help, God's intervention, God's guidance to our legislators so that they are they remember the lessons of history so that we do not lose this time.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, George Washington constantly in his writings during the war, and even after uh, referenced uh, the divine providence of the Almighty, uh, he knew why they had been victorious, because in many instances they should have lost battles, the army should have been destroyed by the British, and there were literally, I don't know how you can explain them any other way, but miracles that occurred that allowed them to live to fight again another day, uh, just over and over and over. And, and in fact, he he, he wrote uh, to one of his generals after the war that uh, succeeding generations who had not witnessed the providence that brought them victories when they shouldn't have won them would probably not believe them when they told the story, because they didn't see it. They didn't see the hand of God. But let, let me tell you how bad it's gotten, uh, Dan. I, I was speaking not long ago. I, I travel all over the country doing this presentation, and right before the election we literally shared this message all the way from gettysburg pennsylvania to colorado springs uh with dr james dobson i mean we we were all over the the country and and travel all the time in addition to pastoring and the other things i do but i was speaking uh in a little rural community in oklahoma not too far from my home, and uh, after I was finished, this lady came up to me, and she just had tears running down her face, and so uh, obviously she was distraught, and uh, I asked her the the problem, and she said, well, I don't know what to do, and I said, well, tell me what happened, and she said, well, a couple of weeks ago, my pastor climbed into the pulpit and said, ladies and gentlemen, I will never preach another sermon against same-sex marriage, because now with the Supreme Court's decision, Um, same-sex marriage has become a political issue, and I can't preach politics in the pulpit. And she said, what should I do? And I said, go to a different church.
1: (laughs) I was going to say the same thing. I mean, that is about as lame as it gets.
2: it, It is. But see, Dan, you would be amazed at the pastors who use that line of reasoning. You know, in Barna's study, that I mentioned a while ago, he, he found that there were a number of reasons that the pastors themselves gave for not speaking out, not getting engaged. And the top two reasons, the top two in this order, why they don't speak out on these issues is, number one, they're afraid that it'll hurt the size of their congregations, the attendance. And number two, they're afraid it will hurt the amount of money given in the offerings. Those are the top two reasons why the pastors who say that the Bible addresses all of these issues, they will readily admit that, but who also say they're not going to preach on them, the top two reasons they give is they don't want to run anybody off, and they don't want to lose money. <laughs> Those are the reasons.
1: Well, with with that kind of an attitude, the Declaration of Independence would never have been written.
2: No, of course it wouldn't. No, the, the, the churches would have been forced to become a part of the Church of England. Most of their pastors would have either been exiled or executed, and we we would not have the history that we have and the liberty that we have today. I'm telling you, and I've studied this extensively. I probably have no authority on it, but I've, I've studied it extensively, and, and and Dan, I will tell you without any hesitation, had it not been for the preachers that the British call the Black Robed Regiment, we would have never had Probably the War of Independence, but I definitely believe we would never have won. Did you know that when the recruiters for the um, American Army would come into a little town or village, the recruiter would go find a local black robe preacher and have him to recruit because those black robe preachers could recruit far more soldiers than the actual professional recruiter? <laughs> Could in that
1: day? Well, that's, that's not, the kind of influence these men had. Well, it's not. Yes, it's not surprising because their community already looked up to them as leaders. And when your respected leader, who not only has your respect as a man because, but also you, he has your respect because he issues the word of God, he is God's spokesman. Spokesman in your community when he's when he explains to you the moral. Exp- the, the moral necessity of signing up, of standing up for freedom versus tyranny. You're not going to refuse.
2: No, and especially when he's going to go with and kind of be the leader. You know, I was talking about John Rusbrug a while ago, who was killed while trying to surrender. And he's a pastor in, in uh, New Jersey. When He was 63 when the war started, so it's a little too old to go marching off to fight. But when the British defeated the American forces and General Washington at the Battle of Long Island, New York. Rossbrugg called together the remaining men of his church that had not already gone off to fight, and he told them that they had to rally to the aid of Washington and to the aid of liberty. And his men said, Pastor, we will go if you will lead us. And so 63-year-old John Rosberg saddled up and led the men of his church off to join General Washington's army and they, they were involved in the Battle of Trenton, New Jersey. And then later on, about a week later, there was a second battle because the British tried to retake Trenton. And during that battle was where Rossberg got separated from his men and eventually was captured. And while trying to surrender, the Hessians, who were under British leadership, killed him. They bayoneted him to death. That You know, that's the level to which these men... Were committed, and if you hadn't had men like that, I'm telling you, there would have never been uh, the War of Independence. And if there had been, it would have most likely been unsuccessful. It, it was the preachers, it was the church that made all of the difference, and that's why that story, that's why that story is important today. It's, it's not just a bunch of old dusty history. We can we can leap forward into the 21st century, and the truth remains: the church is the moral conscience of a culture, and if, the, and if the conscience, the Church, goes silent, well, so does, the, so does the, the conscience and the culture decay. That's why Jesus calls us salt and light.
1: Well, absolutely, really incredible to have discussed this with you. Dan Fisher, and I'll mention your website again, danfisherbrr.com, the Black Robed Regiment. These are the stories that we all need to hear. These are the stories that our children need to hear. These are the stories that give us the direction, that give us the inspiration, uh, and give us the knowledge that we can use to fight to maintain the constitutional republic that we were given because men of faith, men and women of faith, men and women of God had the foresight and the understanding to write a Declaration of Independence and a Constitution to protect our natural law rights. Any final thoughts?
2: Well, uh, the only thing that I would say is that if they are interested in contacting me, I would love to be able to to bring the presentation to their community or uh, or to their church. And they can, first of all, they can go to my website, which would be a perfect place for them to go because they can find uh, a lot of information about us. But the other thing uh, that they could do is, I have folks who work with me that uh, that help me, and one of the ladies that uh, that helped me in this process uh, is um, my uh, my publicist, and um, she has been incredibly helpful in uh, in in getting us into different places, and, and I would love for them uh, if they need to 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 uh, contact her, and I am trying to pull up her phone number as we. You're talking and about... you' am be drawing a blank on that number. Let me, well, let me you're me talking... I, I happen
1: to have her number. You're talking... I ta-
2: have, um, have that number. Yeah, right here. Her number is 704-609-5519. F- five five
1: five 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 nine. Nine. Her name
2: is Debbie Blancy. And they could contact her, and we could set up a time to come to their community, to their church, and do this presentation. We'd love to do so.
1: I will repeat that for you, Debbie Blancy. Uh, the Dan Fisher's publicist 704-609-5519. That's it, Dan Fisher. Uh, this is an has been an incredible discussion. Uh, it is so meaningful, uh, and uh, I know that my listeners will be wrapped with attention when they listen to this interview. Uh, thank you so very, very much for being a guest on Doctor Dan's Freedom Forum.
2: Dr. Dan, it's been an honor. Thank you so very, very much. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything,
1: everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning <laughs>